Hello and welcome to the SAMOP Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service and various specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Rogers with us. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Rogers. Hey, thanks, Katie. Glad to be here. Start by telling you a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What medical school did you attend? Or where did you go for residency? Anything like that? Sure, yeah. So I grew up in Greeley, Colorado, north of Denver. And I uh, went to undergrad at University of Northern Colorado in the same town. And then met my wife there, uh, future wife there. Then I was accepted to University of Colorado. And I was accepted to Uniform Services University in Bethesda, Maryland. And we like the idea of moving five states away from all of our family. <laughs> so, yeah, I just like the idea of living on the East Coast. I was in Air Force ROTC in undergrad, which is unusual for docs. I had a pre-HBSC scholarship. I wanted to do military medicine. I kind of knew that from the start. And so we uh, moved out to Uniform you know, Services in Bethesda, and that was kind of the start of the active duty military career. Loved it there, loved the location, loved the area, but, you know, in med school, CEO school, it doesn't really matter. I don't think where you go in terms of what's around, there's, you know, you're pretty busy and working pretty hard, but we did enjoy that area. So I had always wanted to do aerospace medicine, be a flight surgeon in the Air Force. Even before I went into med school, I was, I read some things about it and I was like, that sounds really cool being able to support aviation medicine and be able to support the operational mission closely. And so I was going to go do a, a GMO tour after transitional residency and then some good mentors of mine, sage kind of military physicians said, hey, do something clinical. If you think you want to go clinical, do something clinical first and then roll into flight medicine. So that's what I did. We went to family medicine residency at Andrews Air Force Base, which is no longer there. They've consolidated, I think, with Nellis. But great place. It was a small community hospital, but they had, you know, ICU and a pretty good range of surgery. But we were the only residents hanging around. There was rarely another resident showing up. So it was kind of all the family docs running the whole hospital. And that was a good experience for being able to kind of develop self-reliance and, and really, you know, all that we saw, all the cases. We went like five layers deep in residence and fellows for a given case. So that was a good experience, good training, I thought. So then you know, we started having kids, had a child at the end of med school, and then we had another child right in the beginning of residency. So four of us kind of traveled through our subsequent career. Awesome. So why did you initially choose to become a physician? That's a good question. I don't know. I think I just, I can't explain exactly how I was drawn to it. I grew up in a, a small business in our community. It was a automotive repair, kind of heavy equipment repair business that my father and grandfather had started. And I just kind of figured I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to follow that line. And I was pretty scientifically oriented, and I worked with probably some mentor uh, physicians in our community that I had the chance to shadow and just kind of liked the looks of it, and I, it turned out to be a good decision. I've 
very much valued the the career choice for sure. It's not always the case with some folks, but yeah, it's worked out well. That's great. So sort of similarly, what made you want to join the military? I know you said you were Air Force or OTC in undergrad, but what kind of led to that decision in the beginning? I think the camaraderie, the kind of team spirit, team attitude that I observed from other people I knew that were in the military, I think certainly I was drawn to some degree of adventure and that during my career I certainly got that. And yeah. That's the thing. I definitely wanted to serve. I was motivated to serve the country. I knew that the decision to join the military was a serious one that could potentially lead you to harm's way. I did not have any idea it would turn out like it did with 9-11 and all the post-9-11 stuff, but yeah. Okay, so that leads me nicely into my next question, which is where have you been stationed or what different positions have you held in your military career? My family and I, we got an amazing array of locations. We started out after residency at a small hospital in Omaha, Nebraska, at Offutt Air Force Base. That was family medicine. I was just kind of cutting my clinical teeth, seeing a lot of patients, you know, working hard. Not a ton of operational connections, but then I was able to apply to the AMP course, the basic flight surgeon school, with a potential to get an assignment after that. And so we did that and uh, applied to an overseas position. So we were given RAF Mildenhall in the UK and got there right before 9-11. So the unit I happened to be assigned with was a special operations unit. And so with 9-11 stuff all over Europe uh, and the Middle East, it got crazy busy. And so I was deployed a lot, TUI a lot, doing all sorts of crazy missions that were fascinating. A little bit exhausting, hard on the family, but a huge level of adventure for sure. Then we came back to the States, and I decided to kind of lean back away from the special ops community a little bit. It can kind of suck you in a little bit. And so we went to a fighter base to Seymour Johnson, North Carolina, Goldsboro, North Carolina, where I got to work with the F-15 Strike Eagle wing there, and then there's a tanker wing too, but... Got to do high-performance fighter connection in terms of, you know, medicine interface with pilots and with those. That was crazy amazing as well. Lots of cool stuff, lots of fun medicine. At the same time, I was still practicing true family medicine, so I was taking care of families and really enjoyed that, really enjoyed applying that to the operational angle of just, you know, the fact that there's a mission to be done. Then we went to the RAM, the Residency in Aerospace Medicine at Brooks Air Force Base, in Texas, and then spent two years there, got master's degree in Renaissance Aerospace Med. Then we went to Dias Air Force Base in Abilene, Texas, where I had to work with a B-1 bomber. So I was flying that platform, and a lot of C-130 time there with uh, another unit co-located there. And then coming down kind of to the end of the career, ended up getting a chance to come to the Air Force Academy here in Colorado Springs, and did that for the last two years. So the last Four years of my career were squadron commander, running a 100-plus person squadron. So I was getting kind of tired of the not as clinical, more administrative side, and we decided to get out at the opportunity to retire when that came up. So we went ahead and took it, and we stuck around here in Colorado Springs. Awesome. So what are you doing now? 
I'm a family physician. I run a direct primary care clinic in Colorado Springs. It's called Alpenglow Family Medicine. I still do quite a bit of aviation. I'm a senior FAA medical examiner, and I also get involved with the HIMSS program, the program for substance abuse-affected aviators with the FAA. So kind of a mix. Great. So what do you like about family medicine and aviation medicine? Um, yeah, that's a great question. We could probably talk for an hour on that. I kind of like the quarterback position of it, in a way. I think looking back, I, I can look back and think, should I have been a specialist? And, you know, I would have certainly made more money, more procedures, that kind of thing. The money's not terrible in family medicine, but it's sometimes a lot more work chasing around things. And But I, I really like that kind of being kind of in the middle of things, being that first interface for patients a lot of times. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of like the down-home kind of country doctor feel. It's challenging. It's definitely challenging. It has its big-time challenges. There's a lot you got to know, a lot you don't know. I mean, you can't just shovel everything off and just say, I don't, I don't do, you know, major areas. you got to kind of know some stuff. But I enjoy getting in and really getting face-to-face with patients and getting in their lives with them a little bit. That's great. So what advice do you have for students choosing a specialty? That's a great question. I, I try to encourage them to ask those questions of those who they, you know, are, are talking to or shadowing. I recommend asking, what do you love about this? What do you hate about this? What do you wish you'd have done differently? And, you know, those are just kind of key things that you just start to hear. And, and I think, if possible, try to spend as much time doing kind of little micro-interviews with as many doctors as you can. I mean, learn what you think in your mind. I want to do this. When I started, I want to be a thoracic surgeon. I knew that for sure for positive. And throughout med school, I figured out that wasn't really my thing. That wasn't really my skill, my uh, leaning. Part of doing that was from talking to a lot of docs that were in their career. Don't be afraid to hear the bad side of what people say, but also really, you know, take that with a grain of salt, too. Sometimes docs are overworked and frustrated, and so everything is just negative. And when you get into more of the story, that's not really the case. They do actually like some things about what they do. And so spending time with docs, learning that can help a lot. And then just doing it, you know, doing your rotation to kind of experience that. I learned in surgery I was not really cut out to be a surgeon. I I like talking to my patients a little more. And, yeah, so that's kind of what I suggest. Thank you so much for that. So another question, how do we develop officership while in medical school? Or how do we continue to be strong officers in the military as we advance our careers? That's a, also a great question. Wow. Let me think. So in med school, what can you do? I think probably the best thing, I mean, if you're in the program, you know, some schools have more kind of custom-built tracks for military students, med students, and so they give opportunities for, you know, officers and military folks to come in and interact with them, and field trip opportunities are awesome. I think studying a bit of history. You know, just reading a bit of military history from your branch or from overall just kind of history of different military events and interactions. You could read a little bit of 
leadership types of things. There's a, there's some pretty good books out there that teach about leadership that's kind of military oriented. It's a little different military than than civilian leadership and like a big business or something. But I don't know that in med school you have to do a ton. I think just some superficial things. I would suggest though after med school when you get active duty and you're working the professional military education programs in all the branches typically have online options. So when I was going through, they really wanted to get all the docs through squadron officer school. That's a standard basic school for the average captain. And I actually know a couple docs that were able to go in residence actually went to the course in National Air Force Base. I'm not sure you need to do that, but at least taking the online version of the company grade officer level professional medical education in the Air Force it's Squadron Officer School, and then maybe Air Command and Staff College, which is at the major rank level or 04 level. Those are just awesome. They, you, you learn a lot more about the nuts and bolts of how the military works. You learn a lot more leadership and management skills, and you get some, some credibility in the community. You know, your bosses will see that you went out of your way to do an extra course in, in military leadership. It's a good thing, generally. So that's that's what I think. And I think just maybe conceptually the mindset that spend time with the line if you can. Spend time learning from line commanders and line leaders and interview them, talk to them. Even as a, later in a career, we get very medical focused in the medical system. That's why Uniform Services was embedded is because they figured out from the Vietnam experience that we need doctors, at least some doctors that kind of have a clue. And I think that thinking has spread to a lot of the civilian programs that are like, hey, you know, military medicine is actually a unique thing and it deserves some attention. It'll make the, the military and the support that can be given to military members a lot better. No, that's great. I'm sure that'll be dragged on useful for us. <laughs> so what are the differences that you've noticed between military and civilian medicine? Are there lessons that you learned from military medicine that you now use in the civilian world? Well, my career was, at least at the beginning, was a little bit oriented tactically. So I got to do some things, get some training that's kind of unusual for the average doc or the average family doc that I use the skills to this day. But basically, I mean, coming out of a, a good military career really prepares one well for civilian practice. I, I was not at disadvantage at all. I had to learn insurance nuances, and, you know, that caused me to really move into direct primary care, which kind of works around insurance. It doesn't really, uh, you know, we don't bill through insurance carriers. We bill directly to our patients, but at an affordable rate, and makes us able to really do really good quality care in an affordable way for our patients. But, you know, that's probably the biggest thing is the financial aspect that's the transition over to civilian medicine. I mean, I think the military helped me become very strong clinically taking care of patients. And I think patients recognize that. I notice patients will come to our office because they're like, we saw you were in the Air Force. I don't know. I'm not sure what that means, but... That's that's something. 
So what challenges or what struggles did you have balancing being an officer and a physician, and how did you balance those? Uh, to be honest, I didn't balance them real well. <laughs> no, I, I was very line-oriented. Line means the operational side, the non-medical side. And so I probably hacked off a few of my bosses and, and people within the med group because medical systems get very self-centric in the military. And I've had the impression before that people that worked in the hospital kind of felt like the hospital, the base around them was there for them. So that the hospital was the mission of the base. And that's really, really the opposite of the truth. We're there to support, you know, that armored unit or the ship, you know, the fleet that has a mission at sea or, you know, whatever it is in aviation, some aspect of a certain aircraft type or mission, we're there to support them, not the other way around. And so I would get pretty frustrated and vocal sometimes when people would be saying, we need to just force the line folks into our mold so that we can take care of them in the hospital. I'm like, we are here for them. They can replace us easy. We need to make the mission go forward. And so that was sometimes a struggle. I was maybe a little too, not too, but I was definitely more connected with the line as a flight surgeon that, you know, I was working with the leaders on the base because that's who typically runs the base or the people that have come from a background in that aircraft. So. Yeah, if you want to talk about struggles, that would be a great struggle. I, I think it was exactly right, and it was felt it was completely fulfilling, and I felt like I was performing my role supporting that, that unit. You know, something to do, and probably going back to a previous question, but I always tell folks, once you're out, once you're working at a base as a doc in the clinic, take every chance you get to go to the units you support. Spend time with them. Them, learn their environment, learn their culture, what challenges do they deal with, what's it like to live in the field, sleeping on a tank, long exercises. You go to war with them, you know, nowadays, or at least it's toning down a bit, but, you know, I spent a lot of time in the field in, um, you know, combat zones with the folks that I've been trained to take care of. It helps you a lot. It gives you perspective. One example was, and when I was in special ops, I was supporting a Navy SEAL unit, and they asked me to come along on one of their fast boats so that I could provide medical while they did their thing because it feels like to just do their operational thing. They, and they can just kind of let me be the doc, uh, you know, on scene to support them. And I learned a ton. I learned what an injury might do to someone or how it might affect them to try to accomplish a mission that's critical. Learned a ton of stuff. And it, it was super fun for sure. But you know, whatever you do, whatever unit you support, learn what they do, respect what they do, spend time with them. Everybody loves to tell you, to talk to you about what they do. Everybody loves to show you what they do. They'll let you shoot guns, they'll let you climb mountains, they'll let you jump out of planes, all kinds of stuff to experience what their life is like, how you can modify medical options so that they can do what they do effectively as opposed to just saying, oh, well, you have a slight injury now, you're, you're gone forever, get out of the community, versus figuring out how can we keep this highly trained asset doing what they do and supporting the mission. I learned a ton about how to better support the fighter, the war fighter, the frontline operator in doing what they do in the right way. We can really mess that up in medicine. We can 
overdo things, we can underdo things, we can ignore stuff. Also, when you're with them or with a unit, they'll confide in you and they'll start to trust you. And when they trust you, then the quality of medicine goes way up because they're not avoiding coming to see you. They trust that you know what they do and that you get it and that you're going to make a more balanced decision to support the mission and to take care of that person in the right way. So highly recommend it if one gets a chance, uh, every chance you get to go do stuff with the people that you serve. That's awesome advice. Thank you so much. So I know you had quite the extensive military career, and I know you've kind of touched on this already, but what really kept you in the military? I went to USIS, and I had the pre-health profession scholarship, so I had Buku payback. (laughs) (laughs) I I can honestly say I would have stayed in the whole time. I for sure would have. I just loved it. I love the community. I love the teamwork. Yeah, I was pretty dyed-in-the-wool military physician. I know for sure the commitment kept me in, but I really doubt I would have left early. In fact, to this day, I still wish I could be out working, doing doing the same mission, doing the same operations. But the problem is, as you get up in rank, you get less and less connected to the actual what's happening. You get more and more into policy and, you know, higher levels of leadership. And so that's the disadvantage. You can't make it last oftentimes a full career very easily, but I drag it out as long as I could. Thank you. So kind of switching back here, what advice do you have for students who are trying to get into a military residency? Great, great question. My experience, and again, my experience is about 20 years old or so, maybe a couple more, 20, 22 years old. But from talking to friends of mine who ran residencies and so forth, it's not really much different than it was. To get into a residency, you have to go there. You have to work with them. They have to see you and experience interacting with you. People think, well, I've got awesome grades and awesome, you know, USMLE scores or whatever the standardized tests are and got all these great recommendations, but they don't give two hoots. They are going to have to work with you closely for three years. They need to know if you're reliable, if you have a decent sense of humor, if you have a decent work ethic. So if you just send something and expect they're going to pull you out of a hat and say, come to this residency, that's not going to happen. It's a very military. I mean, they pick people that they say, that's the person we want. And they'll take some hit on grade quality and standardized score quality to some extent. That's the number one thing. You just, you've got to go there and rotate with them somehow, do something to spend some time, not just a quick interview for a couple hours, but let them see how you work and how you interact. I don't think anyone in the training programs would disagree with that. And then finally, what are some pitfalls that we should avoid as either physicians or officers? So I've seen both ends of the spectrum. I've seen doctors that refuse to do anything with the operational line or want to just purely be doctor, come in, punch the clock, sit in your office, do your thing, push paper around, go back home, you know, don't really engage. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where occasional docs would be a little too far off and it would be a little too chewed up with the line and not integrated with the hospital. So here's an example. When I was in uh, the special ops unit, we did not have a requirement to work in the hospital. We did not have a requirement at all, and that was an unusual factor 
for in the Air Force, but we were specifically in the unit we supported, and we did our medicine within that unit. But I still jumped back, and I would work, and I would help in the hospital. I would come when I could. I would help teach ACLS, ACLS, PALS, just to be around. I would offer to help the clinic, the flight night clinic that I coordinated with often. If they had a shortage of manpower, I'd say, hey, I can help you guys. I can come over this afternoon and see clinic for you guys. That paid off in spades because I knew the people in the med group. I could help my unit, my operational unit, get things done because I knew the, the right people over there that I was trusted. Um, if I'd have made myself completely absent from the hospital side, it would have hurt our operational side. By the same token, still was mindful who I worked for and what, you know, I was constantly advocating for the unit that I was assigned to and not just one side or the other. Just shouldn't have no knowledge of who this person is. The line shouldn't not know who their doctor is. The hospital shouldn't not know who this other doctor is over across the base. I think that that would be very useful to kind of look at that when we're in our military careers. So is there anything else you want to talk about? I am jealous of those who are studying now and jumping into an exciting military medicine career. Just, you know, a lot of folks I know are just doing it for the money. And it's a great deal for the money. It's probably the best deal to get the HPSB and pay your time off and then you're out and you don't have to pay for med school. That's awesome. But Please, I beg you, take care of those people. Do your job well. You know, have some mindfulness toward the mission of the military and that uh, it's not just about a function to help you get through med school without all the cost. And you do that and you'll, you'll be served well inside and outside. Thank you so much. That wraps up our episode with Dr. Rogers today. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with us as future military physicians. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samoxeducationchair at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.